Welcome to the Church 214 podcast. We're glad that you've joined us today. We hope that you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about our church, please visit our website at church214.org. I kind of want the band to stay up here and play the whole... No, I'm, jo- I'm joking. I'm joking. They, you didn't see it on their faces because they were laughing. There were just heart attacks happening. Just heart attack, heart attack, heart attack, all of them. <laughs> you guys did so good. Thank you so much. Man, has anybody had a good time during the Home Address series? You know, I've just been so stunned by the power of every single message and, and how God has somehow found a way, surprise, surprise, to take five seemingly unconnected passages from five totally different books in the Bible and somehow weave them into this collection of truths that have been so powerful for our church and for those of you that listen on the podcast. You know, we, we believe at Church 214 that God spoke so clearly when that book was written. Amen? Anyone? Okay. And we also believe that he spe- is still speaking just as clearly to us today. Okay. Amen? Thank you. Okay. So, <laughs> I've also been stunned by the movement of God's people over the last few months. Because whether you have recognized it or not, I have. And in this church alone, there have been many examples. Many people have stepped forward into new roles and new positions and taking new territory with just outrageous results, you guys. You have no idea. You'll never know. There's just so many examples. And the reason that's happening is because we have the people of God responding to the Word of God with obedience. And when you get that, you get these acts of worship by individual people. And on top of that, the people that are around those individuals see that, and their faith is increased, and their faith is encouraged because they get to see more evidence of God moving around them. It's so important to step forward when you have the opportunity. But there's always more, and today I'm going to ask for more. I'm going to ask for more. And so I'm going to do, do my best today, whether you, this is your first time here or first time listening on the podcast, I'm just going to do my best to equip you with the Word of God. And hopefully that will empower you to take another step towards Jesus and as Chris put it so eloquently, well, he kind of stole it from the Bible, but in, in week two, he talked about increasing the awareness of God's glory, um, and I want to do that today too. And I think you're going to hear that a lot more from our stage going forward because it's so important. Chris, thank you so much for being faithful to the Word of God and bringing that. I, I feel like it needs to be almost become like an honorary core truth of our, of our church, okay? Um, and Heidi, also, thank you so much for what you showed us in week one. She already kind of stole part of my intro, so I'm sorry you have to hear it twice. But um, she talked a lot about the importance of numbers in the Bible and order and details, and I love that stuff. She was not kidding. I love that stuff. I love that nerdy stuff. And whether you were into it or not, maybe you need to go back and listen to it, but I hope you were able to see past all of the numbers to a a big God, like a huge God that knows exactly what he's doing. And there was, she shared a ton of cool examples. And one in, example in particular jumped out to me, and I don't know how many people, how many 
how many of you it actually jumped out to because it wasn't like a main point of hers. But at one point she was talking about the importance of the number seven and she flashed this slide up there. We're not going to put it back up there. Sorry, I should have thought of that, but um, I can only put so many slides up there. <laughs> Actually, we can put infinite number of slides. I don't know why. <laughs> that was a bad joke that got a lot of laughs. I don't, I don't know what happened there. Um, anyway, so she put a slide up there, and it said, um, apparently, she did all this wonderful research, and there are only seven men in the Bible that are specifically referred to as men of God. And then she moved on. But that leaped off the screen at me because two of those men are the prophets Elijah and Elisha. And guys, we say this stuff all the time. You can believe me or not. It's fine. But we did not plan this. I had no idea what she was going to preach on. I knew her core verse, the, you know, the home address. I had no idea what direction she was going to go. And so today as we close out the home address series, we are going to look at that transition of ministry from the pro- between the prophet Elijah and Elisha. I, I'm not making it up. It's just so cool how God continues to line all that stuff up. Every single series, it seems like stuff like this happens, and we don't talk to each other much as we prepare our, our messages. It just keeps happening. You guys, and you know what that means? It's funny, but it's also really cool because that just means that God is continuing to speak to us, and God is continuing to move, and we're just going to keep trying our best to obey him. So let's, in particular, we're going to look at Elijah and Elisha and that transition, but I especially want to focus on Elisha and his, his radical obedience. I just, he was ready for the unexpected. He was. And, you know, as the worship director, I'm responsible for picking all the songs, and I didn't even make the connection between Shadow Step and my sermon, or, and this message, until I'm standing over there. <laughs> Maybe I should pay attention more to the songs I pick, I guess. Um, <laughs> so we're going we're gonna to kick things off. Um, we're going to spend a lot of time in the Bible today, and we're gonna, which I hope is okay. First um, Kings chapter 19, verse 19. And as you're turning there in your app or on the podcast or in a physical Bible, um, before I read that, I want to talk about chapter 18, because in chapter 18, we see Elijah, he defeats the prophets of Baal in a showdown on Mount Carmel. It's freaking awesome. And then the three-and-a-half-year drought is ended, and then he flees into the wilderness because Queen Jezebel is upset and she's trying to kill him. And God meets him in the wilderness and says, you need to go find Elisha and appoint him to succeed you. And that's where we're going to pick up the story. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Let's stop there. Elijah found Elisha working hard. Don't miss that. He was faithfully serving his father, working the ground for him. I didn't read it, but verse 16 says that Shaphat lived in a place, which means Elisha also lived here, a place called Abel Mehola. And there's a picture of what this looks like, this area looks like today. This is modern day Abel Mehola. This is in the Jordan River Valley. And it's known for having a very tough soil with lots of clay, which makes it very difficult to plow. 
which is part of the explanation as to why he had 12 pairs of oxen. I mean, that's a lot of oxen power, or horse horsepower, or, oh, you know, ox power. It's not, a, it's not an official unit of measure, but today we're going to say it is, okay? Um, and so you have to try to picture this. Year after year, this is, it looks green, but it takes a lot of effort to make it look that green, okay? That's grass. That's not crops. It takes a lot of work to produce fruit on that land. And you got to try to picture this year after year, Elisha struggling to work the ground over and over and over again so that it might bear fruit. And the whole time, this is his view. The next picture, please. <laughs> Except there's 11 more pairs in front. I couldn't find tw 12 yoke of oxen is apparently very difficult to find on <laughs> Google Images. So I broke the internet for the first time ever. Um, and it's funny because, it, but it, it's funny because it's sort of inherently funny, but isn't it also funny because we've been there before? Like, m maybe some of you feel like you've been there now, or you're there right now. And let me just say to you that if that's you, you know, even when the work is hard and the view is terrible, you got to fight to keep space in your schedule. You got to fight to keep your ears open to what God is speaking to you. You got to be open to the call of God in your life because if you do, you will be able to jump on every opportunity that God places right in front of you, just like Elisha did. Because that's what's coming up next. Guys, the view can change so quickly. The hard work is always going to be there. But the view can change so quickly. Let's keep going. The rest of verse 19 says, Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. And verse 20 says, Elijah then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come to you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? Guys, Elisha immediately recognizes the call of God in his life, and he responds with radical obedience, like immediately, without delay. That's ready for the unexpected, okay? He was not, and he was not torn. I see, I saw a lot of commentaries about this. Like, he, he seems like he's torn between staying and going, and I just, I just can't get on board. I can't get on board with that because we're going to read verse 21 here in a second, he, I believe he simply wanted to honor his parents and leave well. Okay, he was not torn between staying and going because if someone is torn between staying and going, they don't do what verse 21 says he did. Let's go to verse 21. So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people, and they ate. Okay, then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. So that's, not, that's one verse later. That's not on the fence at all. That's like leave no trace of the life behind. I, I also think about like, was his dad a little upset about the oxen? Like, I mean, they had a lot. That's 24 oxen. That's a lot of meat. I mean, you could feed the whole town for a year with that probably. But, I, man, he was making it clear that he was leaving his old life behind with absolutely zero reservations. Okay. 
Now let's keep let's keep going because verse twenty one is like the pivotal point to me. Um, it says he became Elijah's servant. Okay. Now make no mistake, because Elisha understood the significance of that cloak being draped around his shoulders. He knew what that meant. He knew that he was supposed to become the next great prophet of Israel. This moment is very similar to when David was anointed king as a boy, and he had to wait many years before he actually assumed that role of kingship. Are we tracking? Do you remember? Okay. It's the same, the same situation here. So we don't see, he knew that he was supposed to succeed Elijah, but he did not jump directly into that role. He jumped into the role of a servant. And we're not going to get to this part of Elisha's story, but I encourage you to read this the rest of his life. Um, 2 Kings chapter 3, verse 11. In the original Hebrew, it says that Elisha used to pour water on the hands of Elijah. Okay. Yet another example of why English is such a boring language compared to how powerful and beautiful Hebrew is. We just say he became a servant. No, no, no. He washed his master's hands for him, much like Jesus washed the feet of the disciples. Are we tracking? Okay. This is an incredible picture of humility. And I always pictured Elisha as sort of a crime-fighting sidekick, like more of a Robin to Elijah's Batman. And there may have been some of that. If there was, the text doesn't show any signs of it, it does show that he was, I, I believe, the epitome of a servant. He was more of a servant than a sidekick. Okay, guys? And that being said, he was not a passive servant. I have no doubt that he started learning from Elijah, too. And I have no doubt that Elijah jumped on the opportunity to start teaching him. And let me just say really quickly that I hope every single one of us are always in a position where we can learn from somebody, hopefully a lot of people. But some of us need to step up a little bit in the teaching and the leading. Whether you are in an explicit like role, director role or leadership role or not, whether you have the title of manager or not, how are you leading people by just the attitude that you carry into a situation? You might not be the boss. You might not have final say, but are you bringing anxiety into a group of people? Are you bringing encouragement? Are you bringing love? Are you bringing kindness? Are you bringing truth? That's leadership, whether you are the boss or not, okay? And see, and I found that so many people are excited to jump into new roles. I talked about this at the very beginning, right? So many people are excited to jump into new roles, are excited to learn new things but they're usually not the ones to come out and ask to do those things. Um, some people do, but a lot of people don't know how to ask or don't know who to ask, and it takes the leader recognizing something in somebody else and approaching them with the opportunity the vast majority of the time, at least in my experience. And this is exactly what Elijah did. He heard from God, he obeyed, and then he approached Elisha with the opportunity. Elisha was going to be a farmhand for the rest of his life. There is nothing in the text to, that shows us that Elisha was like, I can't wait till Elijah shows up to make me the next prophet. Like, he was not expecting it. Now, God could have done it any other way. 
But he just he decided to put this picture in here of the current leader recognizing something in somebody else, hearing from God, obeying God, and approaching that person, whether they expected it or not, with an opportunity, and then that person jumped on the opportunity. There's a reason that picture is in the Bible. It's so we can learn from it too. It applies to us too. So never stop learning and never stop teaching what you learn, whether you are the boss or not. Now, if you keep going, we can read, that's the end of chapter 19. We can read chapter 20 and 21 and 22, the rest of 1 Kings. And there is zero mention of Elijah and Elisha. And when you read your Bible, you're just turning the page, and the chapter goes by and another chapter goes by. And it's just chapters and pages to us. But um, actually, seven years passed. Scholars know that because they can look at those three passages and look at the context clues like certain kings are mentioned and certain wars are mentioned and we know how long and when those kings reigned and when those wars happened. And so scholars can very reasonably piece together that seven years passed from the time that Elijah got the cloak put on his shoulders to when, or Elisha, sorry, and when he actually shows up again in the text. Seven years. King David, anybody? Okay. Finally, in 2 Kings chapter 1, they show up again in in spectacular fashion because Elijah calls down fire from heaven twice on two groups of 50 soldiers that were trying to arrest them and take them to the king. And, you know, if I was, I don't know how Elisha reacted because it's not in there, but if I was Elisha, I would have been like, yes, finally some real action. Seven years of like, (laughs) seven years where nothing was worth writing about, you know? And that would have been an appropriate response. So we don't know. Let me be very clear. We do not know what happened in those seven years because it's not in there. But I believe if you look at Elisha's life and how it plays out from this point forward, I can make two very reasonable assumptions about it. I would go so far as to say I know this to be true. Number one, Elisha felt right at home. Yes, his life looked very different farmhand versus traveling around serving the most powerful prophet that probably had ever existed up to that point. Very different. But it probably did not feel very different to him. Okay, let me explain. I believe he was built for patience like this after all of those years in the field working the same ground over and over and over again, staring at the same oxen over and over and over again. Except now, he was trying to guide 12 tribes of Israel instead of 12 pairs of oxen, okay? And so I believe he leaned into this opportunity to work out his patience muscles. I don't know where they're, where they're at, but uh, probably in your heart, <laughs> I would imagine, and your mind. He leaned into this opportunity to work out his patience muscles, just like he used to lean into the plow to work out his physical muscles. Number two, Elisha didn't waste time. He practiced. He prepared. And some of you might say, well, Phil, didn't you just kind of talk about that already? And I would say, yes, I did. But I would like to go deeper. Is it okay if I go deeper? I can't hear you on the podcast, but I'm assuming you're okay if I go deeper. So, um, how? <laughs> thank you, Chris, for speaking for the podcast. So, um, how many know 
if, and feel free to respond, um, how many know that it's possible to learn patience and nothing else? Okay, yeah, <laughs> yeah, struck a nerve there, didn't I? How many, like, so how many know it's, it's, it's possible to learn patience, but, like, not take the opportunity to also grow in somewhere else? Like, if you, if you don't get it yet, like, do, do you, you do know there's a difference between, like, this and this, right? And anyone? Like, are you sitting in church or are you sitting in church? Are you being patient or are you being patient and also growing with every opportunity that you get? Okay? <laughs> I, I just, like my son is learning patience very slowly. <laughs> But he doesn't take the opportunity when he's sitting being patient like a good little boy. He's not asking me questions about life. And that's because he's a baby. I get it. I understand that. <laughs> I, hope, I hope this is starting to sink in a little bit. You can be patient and learn nothing else. And I, you know, I just wonder, so I have to believe that Elisha spent countless hours asking Elijah questions listening to the stories that he told. Like, I would, I, the first thing I think of is, like, how many times did he ask Elijah to tell the story about the showdown on Mount Carmel? Or, like, you know, Elijah, what did it feel like when, like, you were praying for the clouds to show up and the drought to end, and then you look up and you see, like, the cloud as small as a man's thumb? What was that feel? What did that feel like? What was he doing? He was filling his mind with reminders filling his mind with truths. Because you have to remember that Elisha did not have, one, any ministry training that we know of until he met Elijah. He was a farmhand. Two, you have to remember that he, he didn't have the Bible. And he was a traveling prophet. They traveled really light. Okay, he could not carry around scrolls, you know, like oh, shoot, I'm, I'm starting to get, uh, I'm starting to have doubts about this, God. Let me just plop down the book of the Gospel of John and hear what Jesus had to say about it right here. You know, you know, because the book of John hadn't been written yet, okay? Jesus had not showed up yet. He didn't have any of that. All he had was his own life experience and the stories and the teaching, the training that Elijah gave him. That's all he had. And he knew that one day, Elijah was going to be gone. And when that day came, he was going to have to be ready. And he, wasn't going, he was going to need not just a shepherd's bag filled with truth, he was going to need like a whole truckload of truth. Okay? And very quickly, um, I mean, the, the, and these reminders are going to be, he's going to need these stories to remind him of God's power and holiness, and kindness, and provision, and faithfulness, and, and if I can just encourage you, um, Heidi talked a little bit about our, our structure here. One of the reasons I believe that we, uh, that we have so, you hear from so many different people is right here. One of the reasons why you, we sing so many different songs from so many different writers is because we know that we all need this, you guys, you need a truckload of truth, and we are going to, to do our very best to fulfill that order, whether you ordered it or not. 
Welcome to Church 214. Okay? Some, some, <laughs> some of you are you're waiting on the seasons to change. You're waiting for your time. And sure, you've got a lot of patience, which is great, but there's more. What are you going to do when it feels like all you've got is the promise? Let me say it another way because only three people got it. What are you going to do when it feels like you've got all of the promise and none of the payoff? Now nobody got it. What are you going to do when it feels like you've got all of the promise? I hear you, God. I heard you. Seven years on, still nothing. All the promise, none of the payoff. What are you going to do? The answer is work. And you're going, you're going to work and you're going to keep working and you're not just going to get through it, you're going to start to thrive in it. Even when it's hard and even when the view is terrible, but only if you continue the fight towards radical obedience. Continue the fight to keep space in that schedule so that you, and to keep your ears open for the call of God in your life so that you can jump on the opportunity when it comes because you don't know when it's going to come, but it is going to come. Guys, Elisha was an ordinary guy working faithfully on the family farm doing what God had called him to do for that time. And then, God, and then Elijah showed up and God called him to asked him to transition to something greater, something crazy. Become the next great prophet of my people, Israel. Oh, but first, wash the hands of your mentor for seven years. And I don't know what situation you're in. I don't know if you're supposed to wait seven more years or seven weeks or seven seconds. But this concept applies to us. And I'm not trying to jam anyone here. I'm not trying to discourage anyone here. What I'm asking you to do is dare to believe in a really, really big God that has bigger plans than you can imagine. Craig Rochelle loves to say that we need to think big and start small. And I know that sounds like a really awesome like title for a roundtable discussion at a leadership conference or like a title for a business and entrepreneurship book. Um, and if it sounds good to you, um, the reason it sounds good is because it's actually from the Bible first, okay? I believe Elisha modeled this concept perfectly with his life, but there, this is, there's actually an explicit command from God through an angel to the prophet Zechariah that is so in line with this concept. In 538 BC, the people of Israel returned from captivity and started to rebuild the city. In 536 BC, two years later, they laid the foundation of the temple, and Zechariah came into his ministry during this time of rebuilding. When, in 520 BC, when this book was written, 16 years later, 16 years after the foundation was laid, very little progress. Lots of opposition, lots of setbacks, and everyone was getting discouraged because they it's the, the work is painstaking, it's taking forever, and we want it to be good. We want it to be worthy of the presence of our God. And God knew his people needed some encouragement. And so the angel speaks to Zechariah, and Zechariah is to then tell the people 
this verse. One of my favorite verses in all the Bible now. Zechariah 4.10. Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. Let me read that one more time. Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. The Lord rejoices to see the work begin. Yes, he rejoices at the end when the results play out. He's in control. He knows. But he also knows, as humans, it's hard for us to trust him. It's hard for us to have the courage, the strength to take another step. It's hard for us to, to, to put our faith in him. And so when his people, his children, do start to do that, and they do start the work, when the work begins, he rejoices even in that because his children are starting to trust him. We've got to keep get this deep down in our souls today, okay? We cannot let our inability to see the outcome and the timeline stop us from participating in what God is doing all around us. We cannot let Satan lie to us and convince us that small equals insignificant or small equals not worth it. Do not despise these small beginnings for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. And if you've never heard of the book of Zechariah, that's fine. Let this be the first verse you memorize from that book. Okay, if there, guys, if there's one thing you need to take away from this message today, memorize this verse. Let's keep going. Second Kings chapter 2. A lot of Bible coming at you right, right, right now. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. And the sons of the prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he said, Yes, I know it. Keep quiet. Elijah said to him, Elisha, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. The sons of the prophets who were at Jericho drew near to Elisha and said, do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he answered, yes, I know it. Keep quiet. Emphasis mine. Uh, then, then Elijah said to him, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. But he said, lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Let's stop there. Here's what happened. Even when Elisha had every opportunity to take a shortcut, when he had every opportunity to make the transition process more efficient, to start the leadership reorg ahead of schedule, he didn't get distracted. He never hesitated in his role as a servant, he never tried to run ahead of God's timing. Oh, God told you to go here? Well, I'm going there. No, I told you to stay. No, no, I'm the servant. I can't serve you if I'm here and you're over there. So if you're going there, I'm going to go there too. He had decided that he was going to serve Elijah until God took him away because that would be God's plan, not his own. It would be God's transition, God's reorg, not his own. 
So let me ask you today, are you outrunning God's plan and his timing? You might be filling up your calendar with all kinds of amazing things. You're breaking world records for loving people and having people into your home constantly and serving on multiple teams and ministries. And your calendar is literally filled with incredible kingdom-building activities and you've got absolutely no bandwidth left and God is standing on the outside looking in just waiting for a minute of your time to simply ask you, will you follow me? But Phil, these are really good things. That's probably true. But are you called to do all of them? Two very important words. Are you called to do all of them? Well, you don't understand. I mean, it's, it's, it just seems like a good idea. I mean, it's a little bit of extra money. And these relationships that I have, that, you know, they're, they're really important to me. And I'm sure I'm really important to them. And okay. Are you called because it's a good idea? Or is it a good idea because you are called? Like, like which came first, the good idea or the calling? Okay? We've all got great ideas, you guys. But if you aren't called to them, they will eventually burn you out. I guarantee it. They will eventually strain your marriage. They will eventually strain your kids. I guarantee it. Because you're doing something that's outside of God's design for your life. And when you use anything outside of its intended design, breakdown happens prematurely always, 100% of the time. It's a law of the universe. You know why? Because God created it that way. Even unbelievers believe this. Some of you need to quit something today. It's a good thing. It's a great thing. And you need to quit it today. And if those relationships that you're worried about are so valuable to you, and God intends for you to maintain those relationships, whatever this thing that's holding you together, once that goes away, it's not going to affect those relationships. Or those relationships aren't as valuable to you as you think they are. That money that you're worried about losing, God will figure out a way. He already has. The question is, are you going to trust him? Somebody needs to put their two weeks in. You need to quit today because you used to be called to it, but God is calling you to something new, or you were never called to it in the first place. So put your two weeks in. Whatever the transition process looks like, it starts today. Well, the office is closed today. Well, put it in your phone for 8 a.m. tomorrow morning to start the transition process now. That's a bold move. I, I mean, I know. And I hope that when the time comes, when my time comes, the next time I have to face this kind of a decision, that I have the courage to live out what I'm telling you right now. I really hope I do. By God's grace, I will. Elisha didn't even put his two weeks in. He put his two hours in. Okay? You can afford to put two weeks in, six months in, whatever, whatever it is. Guys, obedience is just better. 
God's plan, his design, his ideas are just better. Verse 7, I'm running out of time fast. Fifty men of the sons of the prophets also went and stood at some distance from them as they both were standing by the Jordan. Then Elijah took his cloak and rolled it up and struck the water, and the water was parted to the one side and to the other till the two of them could go over on dry ground. And when they had crossed, Elijah said, Ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, Please, let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. And he said, You have asked a hard thing. Yet if you see me as I am taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. And as they still went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it, and he cried, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen, and he saw him no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. And he took up the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Let's stop there for a second. Just like the beginning of the story. He burned the plow. He killed the oxen. I am with no reservations moving from farmhand to servant of the prophet Elijah. And now that the prophet Elijah is gone and I have been called to take his place, I am throwing off this old life of being a servant to the prophet Elijah and I am stepping into the next role that God has for me, which is to be the prophet Elisha. Okay? Same picture. Immediately. And we come to our last home address of the series. 2 Kings 2, 14. Then he took the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water, saying, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he had struck the water, the water was parted to the one side and to the other, and Elisha went over. I love that question. Because, again, based on Elisha's behavior up to this point, that was not a statement of doubt. That was not a statement of testing God. That was not a statement of testing the, the powers. He saw Elijah when he went up to heaven. He knew he had a double portion of his spirit on him. He also knew that on the other side of the bank, other side of the river, there was 50 men that he was responsible for leading now. And those men also saw Elijah go up to heaven in a whirlwind. And they're probably thinking, well, is the presence of God still with us or did it leave with Elijah? He was our leader. They didn't hear the conversation between the two of them. They didn't know the deal. He knew he was going to lead those men. And so he, and by asking that question of God, he's saying, God, I believe you are with me. But show these men that you are still with us no matter who the leader is. Increase our awareness of your glory, God. And he walked across the river into his destiny. And here's the best part, because Elisha didn't know what was going to come next. He knew he had received what he had asked for, but he did not know how it would play out. 
He just stepped forward from obedience to obedience. But we have the whole text. And so here, very quickly, is what we know that Elisha could only believe. We can read in the Bible of seven documented miracles of the prophet Elijah, sometimes referred to as the prophet of fire. His name also means, my God is Yahweh. And three of these seven miracles have to do with calling fire down from heaven, these incredible displays of God's power. And that was very much the core of Elijah's ministry, is these incredible displays of God's power. We can also read in the Bible of 14 documented miracles of Elisha. Exactly two times as many miracles as Elijah did. You know how I said there's always more? Elisha's name means my God is salvation. The first ministry, show the people how powerful I am. The next ministry, now show them how much I love them. We're not going to get into details, but, let, but you can just very quickly. He, he healed the waters of the spring at Jericho, and he filled the valley full of ditches with water so the Israelite army wouldn't die of thirst. And there were a few instances in here where he was fierce, and the power of God was on display. But the vast majority of these, there's healing. He healed the Shunammite woman of infertility, and then her miracle son died, and he raised that son back to life. Does it remind anyone of Jesus yet? Okay, he healed the stew that was poisonous, and he multiplied bread for 100 men. Not quite a 5,000 or not quite 4,000, but definitely directionally correct. Healing a Gentile, naming the Syrian commander of leprosy. He saved a man's job and possibly even his life by causing the lost axe head to float. He saved the Israelites again, causing the Syrian army to go blind. And miracle number 14, my favorite one. A man had died, and he was very hurriedly tossed into the same grave that Elisha was in. And when that dead body touched the bones of Elisha, that man was raised back to life. <laughs> number 14. The last miracle, the one, Elisha did 13 miracles when he was still alive. The one that would quantifiably prove that he had in fact received a double portion of Elijah's spirit did not happen until after he was dead, and that was on purpose. Talk about increasing awareness of God's glory. This is a perfect example of God being jealous for his own glory. Because again, Elisha was called a man of God, and that is significant. But lest you think that he is somehow different, that he is somehow special, that he is somehow has a power that you don't have, God wanted to make sure that he got the glory. He is not about Elisha's glory. He's about his own glory. And so he made sure that throughout history, everyone would know that it was not about Elisha. It was about his power flowing through Elisha that caused these miraculous things to happen. And the completion of his ministry could not happen until after he was dead and God would get the credit. The one thing that did set Elisha apart was his consistent radical obedience, always doing what God put right in front of him, never deviating to the right or the left. He wasn't worried about keeping score with Elijah and hopefully living up to that double portion. I got to get to 14. I got to get to 14. I got to get to 14. He didn't get to 14 and he was just fine with it. He wasn't worried about results. He left all of that up to God. He just moved from obedience to obedience. 
And we have access to that same power that Elisha had access to, but the difference is calling. That's it. Elisha was called to be a prophet to the people of Israel, and the methods he was called to use are these prophecies and miraculous signs. And whether you're called to be a prophet in the same, using the same methods that Elisha used or not, all you need to worry about is consistently obeying and remaining faithful to what God has right in front of you, using the methods that God presents to you. And that same power will flow through you, and miracles will happen. They just might look different, but they are no less significant. Because, friends, when eternity is at stake, the flashiness of a miracle, the number of views a miracle gets, the names attached to the miracle, none of that matters. The heart turning to Jesus does matter. The renewing of the mind does matter. The increase in faith does matter. The expanding of capacity to love and serve other people does matter. The growth of courage to obey the next time you have this opportunity does matter. And the increasing awareness of God's glory does matter. Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? Oh, he showed up all right, and he's still here, and he's still speaking, and he's still working, and he's still speaking to you, asking for your radical obedience. And I encourage you today on the podcast and in this room that if you are hearing my voice, that you have this be your response. God, do all that you have in mind. I am with you, heart and soul. And the people of God shouted. Let's pray. Stand on your feet. Let's pray. God, we are here for you and nothing else. We give you everything and nothing else. God, help us to reach out to you right now with everything that we have to stop despising the small beginnings because you rejoice when the work begins. God, help us to begin the work. God, help us to quit that thing that we need to quit. God, help us to live in radical obedience to you, fighting to hear your voice, fighting to keep space in the schedule so that we can respond to your calling with radical obedience. God, help us to expect the unexpected. Remain faithful right where we are. Focus on what we're doing right now, what's right in front of us, and expect the unexpected so that when you do speak, we respond. God, we love you so much. Continue to speak to us now as we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.